Hey guys, welcome back to the Gritty Men Podcast. I'm John Riggs, your host. And uh, man, so glad that you guys have taken some time out of your busy and hectic schedules to listen in today. And I hope that uh, this will be a great encouragement to you. You know on this podcast, we are here to equip, encourage, and inspire God's men to live God's way for God's glory. Um, You also know and understand that um, in this podcast, uh, the Word of God is the primary source of all that we do and what we're about here. So um, we want to definitely spend time in God's Word as we encourage each other as we live our lives for the glory of God. So let's get right into it this week. Um, Guys, uh, I want to talk to you about um, pack essentials for life uh, that involve every Christian man. Every Christian man needs these pack essentials uh, in their life. And so really just Using kind of an analogy here, um, for me, um, I really love to hunt the backcountry, Colorado. I just love to hunt in general. Um, it's one of the one of my, I guess you could say, uh, kind of simple passions in life, and uh, I just love being out in God's creation. So, um, over the years, I have learned um, how to trim down the uh, the items that I take with me in the backcountry, and so. Kind of when you first begin this process, some of you may just be getting started and getting into it. Maybe you like to backpack. Um, maybe you haven't got into hunting yet. I would encourage you to get involved and get into hunting. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. It's great conservation. And not only that, it's great exercise, but the enjoyment of the hunt, uh, being out in creation, and then being able to enjoy um, good table fare uh, that you actually um, were able to successfully harvest is it's hard to explain. It's, it's just wonderful. So you can bring that home to yourself and your family. Um, but you'll, you know that kind of once you begin doing this or when you first start, we have a tendency to pack too many things. In fact, you can, you can overpack pretty easy, um, especially if you're trying to go lightweight and you're going to spend several days in the backcountry. Depending on the size of your pack, there's different sizes of packs. Um, and I don't know, there's large cubic inch packs. You can go up to 6,800, 7,280. You can go up to, to huge packs um, that will carry more weight than you want to carry. So I've been guilty of that in the past sometimes, um, especially if I'm going on a solo hunt. Um, you know, I have a tendency to take sometimes more than I need. But I've learned over the years to trim those things down to some of the essentials. And um, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, really five essentials uh, that I want us to focus on. Um, in this study today, and I don't know if we'll complete it or not. We may have to do it in two sessions just based on time, Um, but these are five pack essentials of life that every Christian man um, needs to have in their pack because we use them every single day. And I do want to say that you're not born with these essentials. These are essentials that are developed, that are forged, that um, that become a precision thing that we use, a tool that we use. They become part of our everyday life. They are involved in every aspect of our life. And you know this as a Christian man, um, being a follower of Christ is not something that we compartmentalize as a simple piece of the pie of our life. Uh, Jesus Christ is the entire pie of our life, and and, and he affects and infects every single element and aspect of our life, from our hobbies to our marriage to our raising kids to our business. You know, everything that we do, um, Jesus Christ uh, is, is paramount in all of those things. What I mean is he is life. And so there's no compartmentalizing where Jesus is just a segment of my life, but he actually is my life. And so um, 
these are things, though, that we actually um, develop and he develops in us and uh, endurance and grit and adversity. All these things are a part of of how God develops grit in our life. And these essentials are, are something that we have a part in developing ourselves. God, he's working in us, but we're to work out what God works in us, as Paul says in Philippians. Um, but I want to read to you a section of scripture here out of Second Peter uh, 1, 1 through 6. And so, guys, when you first come to faith in Christ, um, you know, there are things that the Holy Spirit begins to do in our life that he begins to transform and change over time. And um, especially when it comes to like the fruit of the spirit, you don't have all of those the day you're saved. You have the Holy Spirit who has all of those, but there are those gifts and those fruits in our life that are developed and um, that we are disciplined in, in using those. They have access to them, but we definitely don't operate in the fruit of the Spirit all the time. I still don't either. Um, I wish that I did better. Um, I, I still rely on the grace and mercy and uh, the help of the Lord Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit in my life. And um, he is so good and so faithful and so long-suffering. Uh, as as we live out our life to the glory of God. But out of Second uh, Peter 1, 1 through 6, I'm going to cover this, and we're going to look at five essentials here that Peter um, writes for us that we can just in our own minds think about a pack. Here we are. If I was to take Peter's pack here, and we're going to dump this pack out on this table, and we're going to lay it all out here, and you say, well, Peter, what do you carry in your pack, man? Uh, what is it? You know, a lot of guys do pack dumps, and they're, they're showing you, you know, everything from the, the boots they wear to you know, to the socks they wear, what type of GPS they have, you know, what is their sleep system, you know, <laughs> everything from the layer system of their clothes, you know, what are their, what are their, the binoculars that they're, they're using, you know, maybe the, their gun, their, their, their bullets, a bow, their arrows, their broadheads. I mean, they just go down the whole list of everything that they have, um, different types of food that they may take in the backcountry, you know, what do they use for the things that they eat with, you know, are they using a jet boil and, you know, everything else. But so Peter here is laying out for us. He's doing a pack dump and he's given us five essentials here for us that we need to put in our pack and we need to develop these things. So let's see what he says here out of Second Peter 1, 1 through 6. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to those who, uh, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is its introduction here. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's good to know that. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them... Um, may we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for this very reason. And now he's going to give us five that we can use or I'm going to use five of these. Make every effort to supplement to your faith. Here we go. Virtue. This is speaking of we, we supplement our faith. We have faith. That is this whole race that we're in. Uh, the whole climb that we are in. It is our race of faith, and it's our faith in Christ. It is this gift that we have. It is faith. We are justified by faith. You are saved by faith. We, we are in Christ by faith, and our race of faith is what he's talking about here, and we are to make every effort, Peter says, to supplement our faith. 
So there's a part of effort on, on, on our work in supplementing our faith. We're not justified, nor are we made right before God in his sight through works. We are simply justified by faith in Christ alone, period. And it's all a gift of God's grace, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us, and many other places, Galatians, and we can go through so many passages, Romans, where it talks about we are justified by faith alone. Nothing is added to that, period. If you add anything to your faith in salvation other than faith in Christ alone, then you are adding works, and that is no true gospel message. That is a false message of gospel teaching there. That's false. You are justified by faith alone, period. Now, we are saved by grace through faith unto good works, but good works don't justify us before God. Only the work that Christ completed on the cross of Calvary would, would justify us, period, before God. So don't forget that, guys. Um, some of you may have a background of teaching that you need a supplement to your, to your justification works in a religious system in order to be justified before God. You have to add that to your faith. It's not true. You are justified point blank by faith in Christ Jesus, period. Now, you are saved unto works, but not by works. Don't ever forget that, guys. So this is not an effort of salvation. Our faith is speaking of our salvation. This is making every effort to supplement our faith, okay? And we're adding to it, not for justification, but we're adding to it um, as a result of, of it working itself out in, in and through our life, okay? But these are elements of, that we need to display as men of faith. Let's put it that way. These are parts that we need uh, that will help display what it means to be a man of true faith in Christ. And that is virtue, number one. That's the first thing that you see come that Peter's going to pull out. He's going to pull out virtue and his pack. He's going to go ahead and tell us what it is and so on and so forth. The second thing is knowledge. We need knowledge. The third thing is self-control. The fourth thing is steadfastness. And the fifth thing that we see that we must supplement uh, to our to our faith is godliness. Um, and so if you look at what Peter just dumped out on the table, especially pertaining to his 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 climb of faith and you say, what do you take with you, Peter? What is your what is your essential gear items that you make sure that is in your pack that you need every single day? of your life when you are running this race of faith he would pull out those items virtue knowledge self-control steadfastness and godliness so <clears throat> um our faith guys saving faith remember this is not a result of human effort the this faith that we have always comes from god and it never comes from man Faith is God's work. It is something that we have, that we exhibit, but it's a gift of grace. And the work of justification is a work that Christ fulfilled on the cross of Calvary through the atonement. Um, it's man's responsibility to work it out and to live it out in application. But our faith is something uh, that is more precious, more valuable than anything that you have, your faith is so valuable. Paul says uh, in Philippians that we are to work out what God it works uh, in us. In 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, um, Peter writes this, In this you rejoice, though 
Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. It is it is it's incredible. It's the greatest gift that we have in salvation is our our faith. Um, and that's our faith in the object and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so adversity, guys, is a gift to test the genuineness of our faith, which is more precious than gold. Um, Peter says that we need to make the effort to add these things to it. So there's an element of our responsibility here. Um, and let me just ask you a question as you think about these five elements. Do you have them in your pack? Do you have virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness? Um, the word virtue that Peter here is using as his first essential item, um, it means moral excellence or uprightness. And that means uh, like manliness in valor. To have valor means to have virtue or moral excellence, to be upright in the way in which you live, honoring to God. So valor would be another word to describe what virtue is, to have godly valor. Are you a man of valor? Um, so we're looking at both the mind here uh, as we as we think about this. So number one, do you have a virtuous mind? Do you have a mind that is a mind of valor? Is it of moral excellence? Number two, do you live a life of moral excellence? Would would this word valor or virtue, this virtue of valor, would would it describe the way in which you are living your life? And then number number three would be this. Just ask yourself this question or you can ask your wife if you want your children. Would your wife or children describe you as a man of moral excellence and upright character? So, number one, do you have a virtuous mind, right? Our mind is what we've been trying to develop in discipline and to take captive those thoughts, make them obedient to Christ, um, that we are to think on things that are honorable, that are trustworthy, that are that are that are that are um, that are pure and holy. And the way we think, you know, affects the way we act. And so, you know, we have all of these things coming in our minds constantly on a daily basis and thoughts coming in and all types of media things are coming our way and. We have to do a lot of gate sorting in our minds and keeping our minds short up and strong. We have we have the enemy coming against us um, in, 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 in ways of battle. Um, we, we waging war and so on and so forth in our minds, the battlefield of our mind. All of these things are a reality. So do you have a virtuous mind? Guys, this is something we all have to work on. You're not born with a virtuous mind. It's developed. And you train yourself in this. You train your mind. You train yourself to uh, the way in which you should think and what you should think on. You, 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 you discard those things that come in that are, that are not virtuous, man. You just you sort them out. Um, you make everything obedient to Christ. And, and that's, that's something we're all working on. And so, guys, I know it's an important thing um, when it comes to the discipline of our mind. Do you live a life of moral excellence was the second one. And then number one, would your wife, number three, excuse me, would your wife or children describe you as a man of moral excellence and upright character? And the reason I say your wife and children, because in all reality, probably very few people know you as well as your wife and your children know you. And so it's always good to, to find a reflection uh, based on those that, that know you best. 
Um, here's another one you can, you can think about. Uh, this would be a fourth one. Are your five closest friends men of moral excellence, men of high character, men of integrity? Ask yourself that question. Think about your five closest friends. Maybe you're saying, John, listen, I can give you two or three. I don't have five. Um, it's not uncommon, guys, for us not to have um, really, really close relationships, or at least many of them. And I, I know we need relationships, but we struggle with that because it's hard to find like-minded men today. I struggle with that as well, and especially being a pastor and all of those things, it's hard sometimes as a pastor to have those relationships, um, even with great men that, that are part of, of your church or, or whatever. But um, God has given me some great men uh, in my life that, um, that I consider to be friends, and I'm grateful for that. So just thinking through your mind here on this last question, are your five closest friends or three closest friends, whatever you consider, um, are they men of moral excellence? And the reason I say that is because you're never going to rise above the level of, of the men that are in your life. That's why I say it's very significant about who you spend your time with, who you hang out with as men, um, who's in your tribe, if you so to speak, not tribal, but tribe. What kind of, wh what, are your, what are the men of your life like? Um, and I want to be around like-minded men. And so I realize they're just not everywhere, okay? And that's okay. And I'm not dis discarding the fact that, that they may be Christian men. They're just not my kind of man that I want to hang out with. Um, they're, they're, they don't have the same things that I enjoy doing. They may not think or process the way that I think. Um, they're just different, and that's not necessarily wrong. But um, I'm thinking of your closest friends here, okay? Um, so ask yourself those questions. Um, in 1 Corinthians 1533 we were told do not be deceived why because bad company ruins or corrupts good morals uh, so that's why it's very important that we do a survey of those in which we are living our lives and doing life with in relation to especially our friend group okay um, and what you'll find too and you guys out there that have come to faith in Christ even recently you're going to see this um, you're going to find that your your friends that you once had that you enjoyed doing things with that were what would be considered unrighteous and ungodly, those things of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, those, those elements of what we would do outside of our relationship of knowing Christ, being someone who was lost uh, without God in this world, you're going to find those people kind of pull back away from you. Um, they're not comfortable hanging out with you anymore. The things that you want to talk about and you desire to talk about as you're trying to talk about the Lord and you're, you're, you're sharing with them about what you're learning about the word of God and what God is teaching you and, and how God is, 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 is just doing all this work in your life and he's changing you. And even the way you, the wor your worldview is being changed and the things that you used to do that you enjoy, um, those things that would be regarded as unrighteous now, the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of those things and, and they're no longer enjoyable. You don't enjoy that anymore. In fact, some of those things you'll detest um, that were considered to be sinful, you'll hate that because once you experience the grace, mercy, and love of God, something changes in you. In fact, when you understand the cost of redemption and salvation for us and what Christ did in order to save us and how far he came in order to redeem mankind, you don't st stomp on the grace of God. Y you, you have such an appreciation and a love and a gratitude for salvation and um, God changes your heart, man. He gives you a different heart and, and uh, takes the heart of stone out, puts in a heart of flesh. 
um, and we just we just are we're just different. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We still have our old man. The old flesh still desires all the things of the world and and those things pertaining to the lust of the eyes, the flesh, and the pride of life. It's still there, um, and we still struggle with it. We still wrestle with it. But we we have now been reborn of the Spirit, and we are a new man in Christ, and we're living for that new man um, and trying to push down this other one. Uh, to keep it from rising up. And so you'll find that there's a separation that happens. And so you really need some men, some godly men um, that you can connect with. And let me just give you a warning about this too, guys. Don't let yourself be completely unseated. If you get into a church and you begin to hang out with these men that are godly men and you find out that some of them in the end really aren't godly men. Okay, don't don't let that just wreck you in your faith. Okay. This is a reality. Not everybody who calls themselves by the name of Christ as being reborn of the Spirit and would call themselves a follower of Christ is even saved, number one. And number two, not all of them act like they are because they're worldly, okay? So you don't let that unseat you. You keep looking for your, your, your men, the ones that you connect with. Um, you keep looking for those guys. And when you find them, you'll know. And it's a great joy to have a few of them in your life, okay? Enough on that. We just know uh, that, listen, bad company ruins good morals. So you're going to encounter guys throughout your life, even after coming to faith in Christ, you're going to encounter many opportunities to compromise on your moral integrity um, and um, your, your virtue as in valor. It's going to be something that's going to always be there there's always going to be those opportunities to compromise now the, the reality is guys i have seen um the fall of many men in this area um and a fall from this area which is moral integrity um it brings devastation to every single person under their care and within the realm of their influence and so uh just just remember that you must keep watch over your moral purity in both mind and body it only takes one misstep, and there is no stopping you until you pile up at the bottom of a ravine called compromise. Um, it's very, very true. So there's no do-overs here. Yes, men can be restored. Yes, God's grace forgives uh, even those uh, who, who fail in sin and even some in, in very uh, deep moral sin. God still his grace is sufficient in true repentance to forgive those um, that have that have that have fallen um, that way. But I will say this. In most cases, most of those men were never restored to the same position of where they were beforehand because their integrity is in question. And so don't forget that, guys. Um, same thing like with trust. Trust is a great thing to have, but it's 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 difficult to develop. But once it's lost, it's never regained fully. And I've seen this in, in lots of marriage counseling, especially when a husband or wife has been unfaithful in, in, in marriage and broken their covenant of purity with one another and fidelity with each other. Um, I have seen and witnessed it over and over and over um, how difficult, in fact, nearly impossible it is uh, for someone to ever give once again that level of trust. And we know that without true trust, you can't truly fully love and so it there's a hindrance that is always there. In fact, that's why even Jesus mentioned in there when the Pharisees were talking to him about divorce and marriage. It's the hardness of heart. It happens 
when those things take place. So you realize you're in a battle. This is a war. Um, moral integrity and moral excellence is very, very important. And so we want to protect that with everything that we have. Um, and so I uh, just encourage you guys to think about those uh, four questions that we just asked here just a few minutes ago. Um, Peter tells us that we need to make every effort to add virtue to our faith. Every godly man must cultivate a life of moral purity, okay? We cultivate that. Remember seed, time, and harvest. Um, when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time. In fact, several summers I would spend away from home on my uncle's uh, row crop farm. And, and so um, we, uh, we spent our summers irrigating corn and uh, harvesting wheat and, you know, planting sorghum and all kinds of different things. And so I learned a lot about seed time harvest, about cultivation, the importance of it. And when you cultivate something, you you go into something that has been planted as a crop and you cultivate the weeds out from around the plant in order that it might be more productive. And so the actual thought of cultivating something is an element of work to keep those things that need not be a part of your life out in order for those things that need to be there can flourish and can grow and not be choked out. And so we're told by Peter here that we must cultivate a life of moral purity, and um, we have to work at that. There's some there's responsibility on our part in that area. Um, I think about um, King Solomon, for example, guys. Um, we're going to probably have to make this into five episodes. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I think about King Solomon, um, that he was, and I've mentioned this maybe on this podcast before, I don't remember, but that he was the wisest fool who ever lived. And you might think, well, John, that's rude of you to say that. I mean, he's in the Bible. He's he's written books. And I mean, we have we have um, we have Proverbs and we have Ecclesiastes. I mean, we've got we've got the, the books of wisdom here written from this man. Yes, his wisdom came from God, but wisdom without application is futile. It's worthless. And he did use wisdom in his life throughout his life, but he did not end well. And you have to cultivate um, moral purity and integrity in your life. You've got to keep cultivating it and keep after it um, because that moment of compromise can come at any time. And just because you've been walking with the Lord many years does not mean you're not susceptible to compromise or to giving in to temptation. The reality is... Um, Solomon was at the very end of his life, nearing the end of his life. He um, had encountered God personally um, in Revelation where God revealed himself to him. I know at least twice because Scripture says that. And yet God granted him wisdom and wealth and blessed his kingdom like no other kingdom. And yet we find something very tragic at the end of Solomon's life. He stopped cultivating um, moral purity before God and when I mean moral purity it encompasses more than just sexual sin or you can list a gamut of things um, idolatry for example uh, was something that that Solomon gave into um, and so if you don't mind guys um, I'd like to read to you just a few things here about about Solomon now he did ask for wisdom 
on how he could better serve the people of God and rule over them. And so God granted him all these other things. That is true. Um, but in first Kings chapter 11, one through 13, I'm just going to read the latter part of this story of King Solomon. You can read more about King Solomon if you'd like to. Um, but you can just go back a little further and read more about him. But in first Kings 11, one through 13, let me just read you a few things here. Um, now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, okay, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning, listen to this, which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you. And here's what God said. Listen, they're pagan. They worship pagan gods. They do pagan things in their worship, right? Here's what it says. God says, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And, you know, the big noose around Israel's neck in relation to idolatry and foreign worship was the Baal worship. One reason it was so difficult for Israel to get away from Baal worship is because they loved sensuality. They loved uh, their licentious worship within Baal worship, which was sex worship. And so part of the worship of Baal involved sex. And so these men would go uh, with these women and they're worshiping Baal, the god Baal, which is a demon. It's a pagan deity. It's a demonic thing. And in worshiping Baal, there was sexual activity being done, and the men were drawn to that because of the lust they had and the desire they had for sexual impurity as a part of worship to a god. That's one reason they were so, they were so sucked into that and desirable of that is because of the lust of their flesh and that when they worship these pagan gods, they were involving themselves in all types of whacked out sexual worship. And so that's one reason the men of, of Israel struggled so much with that. And that's one of the reasons God sent them into. Um, he sent them into. Uh, Babylon and, and, and they were dispersed is because of their sin. God judged them for that. But anyway, God says the reason you can't do this is because they will turn your heart away after other gods. What did Solomon do? Solomon was not cultivating um, this, this spiritual integrity in his life. In other words, this is what God said, but he's not doing what God said. So here's what happened. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives. Now, guys, that's, that's bonkers, okay? I mean, it's one thing, you know, I mean, to think about a guy, um, but this is 700 wives. I mean, come on, man. Yes, he was a king. I get it. But he had 700 wives and he had 300 concubines. So a thousand women, basically, you could say were in a type of harem of his. And his wives turned away his heart, just as God had said. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. For Solomon, listen to what he did. 
he went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom or Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon built a high place. Now, remember, that's where they would do their worship. They would find a high place, a hill or a mountain, a high place in their area, and they would go and build, build either Ashtoreth poles or the, the um, obelisks. All those things would be put up in those places as high places of worship. <clears throat> he built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Moloch, the abomination of the Ammonites. On the mountain east of Jerusalem. Well, the mountain east of Jerusalem is what? It's the Mount of Olives, right? If you've been to Israel, I've been there. You make just a short little walk to the east there, cross the Kidron Valley, and there you are. There's the Mount of Olives. So on the Mount of Olives, which is the Mount East of Jerusalem, it appears that what's, what Solomon did was he built these high places of worship to Chemosh and to Moloch. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. This is serious. Who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning these things. It wasn't as if Solomon didn't know this. Not only did God appear to him twice, guys, but he also commanded him about the very things that he was not to do. He's now doing. He knew this. That he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice. This is not just a one time deal. This is his way of living. This is his practice. And you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you. I will surely tear the kingdom from you and I will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of your father, David, I will not do it in your days but I will tear it out of your, the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David. Well, David was a man that followed after the heart of God. He had a heart after, after God, and God was still blessing those descendants of David based on the, the heart of David in following God. Um. And also for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So God had his reasons for doing. But do you see the significance of um, implementing and cultivating this very, very important uh, essential item? And that is that we need to incorporate this essential item of virtue or valor or moral excellence in our way of living. And so there's danger in that, guys, if you don't. If you don't cultivate it, you can't expect to have it. But do not forget seed, time, and harvest. And I'll do a study on this one of these days. But it is a, it is a law of God. What you sow in time must be reaped. It's the true reality. And so we have to be very cognitive of these things. So, guys, just in closing, um, 
We've already been 35 minutes. I think that's long enough today. Um, we want to finish well. We want to live well. And so if there's an item that you're going to put in your pack that you're going to use every single day, it's going to be virtue or it could be valor or godly living, moral excellence. You're going to use this every single day of your life. And it is an essential item that you want in your pack of faith in order that you carry this on your journey and you use it on a daily basis so that we don't have to be men like those who have shipwrecked their faith that we read about by Paul and others or those men that we personally know who have shipwrecked their faith or men like Solomon who didn't end well and had um, consequences because of the way in which he was living out his life before God in unrighteousness. We do not want to be men like that. We want to finish well and to finish this race of faith well. Make sure that you cultivate virtue, valor, godliness in your life. This this holy, righteous living, it's, it's moral integrity. Incorporate it, use it, keep it in your pack. It's, it's there to use on a daily basis, guys. And so I hope that encourages you today as we look at this very first pack essential, and that is the essential of uh, moral excellence. God bless you guys. Stay gritty, and we will see you soon on the next podcast.